Hey guys, it's Alana and you're listening to Seeing Other People Unfiltered. Each Thursday on Unfiltered, I'll be bringing on a different anonymous guest to open up about their real life dating experiences. We'll discuss what they went through or are going through, how they navigated it, what they've learned, and what advice they have to anyone else going through something similar. Unfiltered is your reminder that no matter what you're going through, you're not alone. If you have a topic that you'd like to discuss on Unfiltered, please email your story to seeingotherpeoplepodcast at gmail.com to be considered for an episode. Real people, real stories, real life. This is Seeing Other People Unfiltered. Seeing Other People Unfiltered is presented by Mindset Wellness CBD. Their happy gummies and their calm gummies cured my dating anxiety, and I am so grateful. You should try them. You need to try them. Don't take my word for it. See for yourself. Head to mindsetwellness.com. Fill up your cart with those happy gummies to take before a date and the calm gummies to take after a date, and use code seeing other people at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. I am anonymous. And I am back in the dating scene after a 14-year marriage. Um, I'm 35. I was married when I was 20. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just um, very different this time around as things have changed for me personally. So um, I just feel like I have a unique um, story. And my story has to do with my faith and how... I was raised a certain way in a very high demand religion, and now I'm maybe transitioning and dating while transitioning from a high demand religion is is tricky. So yeah, that's that's the that's the intro for me. <laughs> no, absolutely. I have so many questions about <laughs> getting back out there in the dating world and about getting married at 20, and then of course everything regarding your faith and your religion. Um, I'm curious, I guess the best place to start is like, what was your upbringing like and how you were raised and how that kind of shaped who you are? Okay. Yeah. Great, great question. So I was raised Mormon or as we call it, member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is a mouthful, which is why a lot of people just say Mormon, which is, which is fine. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably just refer to it as Mormon from here on out. That's also, we are known as LDS, so that if you're for that's for Latter Day Saint. So those are the kind of the two terms I'll probably use. So, so I was raised. Um, I was a very obedient teenager, child. I followed all the rules. I never drank. I never watched a rated R movie. I never had sex. Um, like I even remember I was 17 and a friend's put on a rated R movie and I like got up and left. Like I was so like following the rules was very important to me. And what ended up happening is my senior year, I think my friends knew that they knew where I stood. I was pretty vocal about my standards and my values. And so I kind of just stopped getting invited to things because there was drinking or there was, you know, or there was smoking. And so I kind of ended up isolating myself kind of accidentally by having such high standards. But at the time I felt so good about it. Like I'm doing what God wants me to do. I'm doing what my parents raised me to do. And this is like the right thing. Okay. So, so I was a very good kid in high school. Good kid. I'm putting that in finger quotes because you know, (laughs) 
were okay. your friends not also Mormon? Like, were you kind of like in a mixed religious school? Like, what was yeah. that? Like? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, okay. I was raised in California, so there was not a lot of Mormon kids at my school, um, and I had some Mormon friends, but a lot of my friends weren't. Um, my best friends were not members, so that's kind of why that why I ended up kind of isolating. Um, and I don't think. I don't, I, I, I don't think I was judgy about things, but I could see how that, that would, they would seem like from their perspective, it would feel like I was judging them. Right. Like, why would you want to invite your friend who's just going <laughs> to to the party? Who's going to just be standing there, like crossing their arms. Like, what are you guys doing? You know? Right. So, so yeah, but I, I applied for Brigham Young University, which is a Mormon private school in Utah. And I got in. So after I was done at high school, I went to BYU and at BYU, they have a very strict honor code is what it's called. And because it's a private university, they can basically say whatever rules they want. So there's still no drinking, no smoking, like you can get kicked out, right? Like if you're caught even having sex, like you're out. <laughs> like, so this is, a, this is a university where nobody's doing anything like that. I mean, I'm sure people were right, but I, I didn't know about it and I didn't, and I didn't participate. So, so the way that it works when you start dating at BYU is there's two groups of guys. There's, you call them returned missionaries, RMs or pre-mission guys. So in our church, most guys that are, um, it used to be 19, but now 18 year olds can go, they go somewhere in the world for two years and they like totally devote their lives to teaching people about God and Jesus. And so when you're dating, um, you're either dating a guy who hasn't been on a mission or a guy who has returned from his mission. So there's the two categories. And so it's, it's like low pressure to date someone who hasn't been on a mission because you know, the relationship isn't going to really go anywhere. It's going to end, right? They're going to go on their mission and it's going to be over. So those guys are easy to date because it's it feels like easy, right? But then I started dating my first returned missionary, meaning he had already been on a mission and come home. So that's the guy I ended up marrying, the first guy, the the first guy that was like eligible, essentially, you know. Um, so I was 20 when we got married. He was 24. Um and the crazy thing is, I didn't think twice about it. My mom got married when she was 19. She met my dad at BYU. Very, like, there's just a culture of going to BYU and getting right. engaged and marrying. Very and you quickly. didn't feel like you were doing it because you had to. Like, you liked him. You, like, loved him. You wanted to be with him. Yeah, yeah. But there's definitely, like, a culture of if you're marrying somebody with the same faith as you that it will work out. Like mm -hmm. you will be blessed and you will kind of like, as long as you're both faithful and good, like righteous people, there's, there's just like, it will work. Like, <laughs> which now, you know, I'm a little jaded now that I've been through all this, but yeah, at the time I just thought, um, yeah, I love, I, you know, I, I really liked him. Um, now it's hard, you know, I've, uh, it's hard to, to say about love and I don't know, everything's a little tainted now, <laughs> to, but, um, yeah, 
I thought we were a good match. I definitely thought we were a good match. So you, didn't, like, you weren't questioning it. You weren't questioning like, is this what I want to do? Is this what I'm supposed to do? You were it, just like, this is what I'm doing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I never, I never had second thoughts. I never had okay. second thoughts. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was married at 20. Thankfully I finished my degree. A lot of, a lot of women don't. And what, what was crazy is we actually dated for over a year, which at BYU was almost unheard of. Um, and the reason people get married so fast, I think there's a couple reasons, but one of the main reasons is we are trying to avoid premarital sex. And because everyone's trying not to have sex before they're married, they just hurry up and get married, which wow. it, I don't know. It just, it feels so problematic now. Now, everything that I know now, I'm like, oh, like, I don't think that's a great reason to get married. Um, <laughs> but um, at the time, that's what a lot of people did. So we were dating and we would see friends of ours that started dating, got engaged and got married in the time that we were still dating. And we, and it almost really the conversation that we had about marriage was like, Hey, everyone else is getting married. <laughs> everyone <laughs> else is doing it. I guess we should too. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, well, it was almost like, well, they think they're ready, but we've been dating a lot longer. Like it was just a weird, like comparison yeah. Because at BYU, we're all like, we all have very similar backgrounds. Like we're all upper, upper middle class. We're all like, it's a very white school. It's very, we were all raised the same religion, which means we all have very similar life experiences. So you're just in this very homogenous group of people. And when you see everybody else doing something, you're like, oh, I guess it's time for us to do that too. Yeah. So it's, it's very, it's, it's an odd, it's an odd, like environment. No, I think that makes sense. So I think anyone can kind of pinpoint a certain bubble that they're in or that they've been in where it's like, well, if everyone else is doing something, it's the norm. It's what it seems like you're supposed to do. And you're eventually going to do. It's like, well, then what, what's the holdup? Like, it's just time to do it because you're there and everyone else is, then that's life because you're in your bubble. Exactly. Exactly. And and the bubble is such a good word for it because that's truly like, and people even still talk about the Provo bubble, like Provo is where, where BYU is located. And mm-hmm. it really is its own bubble. <laughs> and, yeah. and then you get out of it and then you're like, oh, wow, like that's not real life. It really isn't real life. But at the time it feels like real life. Like you feel like, yeah, this is what everyone's doing, you know? Yeah. So what was your marriage like, especially at first and and then as the years went on? Yeah. I mean, marriage is weird because you are having sex for the first time. So that's like a huge like learning curve and nobody tells you anything. So it's very like, you know, it's very like we're figuring it out, but it's, it's awkward. Um, But yeah, I mean, married life was was good. Um, we still were at BYU for two more years. So, and, and this is kind of one of my regrets is I wish I would have been single my whole time at BYU. I think it would have been so fun, but I was, um, only single for one year dating him for my second year and then married to him for my third and fourth year. So my four years at university were mostly together with him. Um, but yeah, marriage was, was good. Um, honestly, it was a happy marriage. It was, Um, you know, even though it ended, you know, spoiler, it ended. (laughs) Um, but it was a, it was a, I was happy. I really was happy. Um, we didn't have a lot of conflict. Um, we, we were very, 
it was um it was almost like a roommate marriage later on for sure but it was like a very like we're splitting up the jobs we're splitting up the responsibilities we're both like putting in effort um so yeah it it was it was um I mean honestly it's the only because I got married when I was 20 and met him when I was 19 it's really the only long-term relationship I've ever had so it's yeah. hard for me to even know how good of a relationship it was because I don't have anything to compare it to, you know? Right. Right. Like my longest boyfriend before him was like six weeks in high school. So like, that's like, that's, I know, I know. So, um, so it's hard to say. And, and what's weird about marriage is that nobody really talks about their marriage. Like it's kind of this like private little thing. And so, um, and I think we're afraid to talk about it if things aren't going well, because like, you don't want people to think badly about your, your partner or, you know, it's just so tricky to talk about your relationships with other people. So especially in the church, there's a, a bit of a culture of like, everybody just smile and put on your pretty dress at on Sunday. And like, everybody kind of just puts forward this really picture perfect, you know, relationship and life. Yeah. And then it's not until later when you, when the shit hits the fan for your life that you realize, oh, like we're all kind of pretending. We're all kind of pretending that we're doing good, but most of us are not doing good. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. When you're dating, it can be so easy to get caught up in the stress and anxiety of every situation. Why aren't they communicating? Why didn't they text me back? Am I getting ghosted? Why is this happening again? Why can't someone commit? I've asked myself all of these questions too, more times than I can count. You wouldn't believe what happens when you approach these situations with a different mindset and focus on solutions instead of problems. I started therapy because I was so stuck on the problems in my dating life. My therapist helped me learn why I was ending up in the same situations over and over and helped me come up with a different way and a different mindset to approach dating. If you're thinking of giving therapy a try, BetterHelp is a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists anytime. Whether you want to be a better problem solver or a better dater, therapy can get you there. Visit betterhelp.com slash other people today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash other people. I have to give a quick shout out to Anchor. If you don't know about Anchor, it's Spotify's podcast platform and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Trust me. Let me tell you why. First of all, it's free. And you know I love free. Second of all, their creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast directly from your phone or computer. What could be easier than that? Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and anywhere else you want it played. You can also make money from your podcast, no matter how few downloads you get regularly. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hope you love today's episode. In one way or yeah. another, you know. And, and I'm sure that's a really scary thought and feeling when shit first does hit the fan. Cause it's like, wait a second, like, is everyone else actually happy or and is it just me? Or are we all in this boat together where we're all unhappy and struggling, but nobody wants to talk about it because we're all supposed to, you know, be blessed and have this good right. life. Yes. Yes. That's, that's so true. And and I think for me, I felt like if I checked all the boxes, if I did everything my church told me to do, that the outcome was going to be good. It was going to be positive, right? It, it feels very transactional. Yeah. Um, and even like 
when I was a teenager at church, we would write a list of like things we want in our future husband. And it was always very spiritual based, like a returned missionary that was always at the top of everybody's list. And, and, and of course, like we think that that's such a sign of spiritual um, commitment but now I know plenty of boys that go on a mission where they're just doing it because they feel they have to, because that's our culture. So right. it's not, it doesn't necessarily mean anything to go on a mission other than you spent two years of your life in Mexico or, you know, whatever. So, so there's a lot of things on that list that now make me cringe because I thought those things were so important. But now that I've lived my, you know, now that I'm 35 and I've like had life experience, I see that like going on a mission doesn't necessarily equal good relational skills or conflict resolution or, you know, things that are actually important in a relationship. Do you think that your outlook that changed is just because of your personal experiences or do you think it's, it's just, it comes with age and with having life experiences and seeing what happens like for any, anyone else in the like Mormon community who is still married, like, would they have that same outlook or would they be like, Oh no, like I was totally right to want those things. Well, it's interesting you ask that. Cause I've talked to other girlfriends about that topic because I'm curious, like, am I just jaded because I got mm-hmm. burned or am I, or do other people that are still in a happy marriage who also did the same thing right. I did, got married at BYU at 19 or 20. And I've, I've kind of, I've kind of talked to both. Right. So I have a friend who's like, no, I, I like, I'm, you know, I'm glad I got married young and you know, it's great. And, and then another friend who's like, yeah, this is not, <laughs> we should not be encouraging this. We should not be. And especially the more I learn about like the prefrontal cortex and, and, and just de- human development and how, making such a long-term decision at such a young age, it just seems like almost a recipe for disaster. I mean, I know plenty of married um, LDS Mormon people who got married young who seem happy, but then again, seem happy. We don't know, right? Like we don't know what's actually going on in people's marriages. And there's, there's a pretty strong... So in the Mormon community, when you get married, you get married in a temple and it's a very sacred building that there are a lot of requirements. You have to be worthy to enter. Like you cannot be drinking coffee. You cannot, you you know, there's like a lot of requirements. So you get into the temple and then when you're married, you are covenanting. That's the word we use covenants to, um, to basically stay together. Essentially. It's like, um, there's just a big, like, if you, if you divorce, you are breaking your covenants. That's the, that's the terminology. So it's a very anti-divorce culture. Like it's subtle, but it's there, you know? And so I personally wonder because my marriage in the last three years of my marriage were pretty rough. It made me wonder how many other people are really struggling in their marriage, but because they don't want to break their covenants because they don't want to disappoint God, they're staying together um, you know, and I, I know this happens outside of religion too. People stay together for a long time before they divorce, um, for various reasons, you know, for the kids or, you know, whatever. So, 
yeah, um, I just can't imagine like having that other layer. And and for those who don't know, and I'm Jewish, but like I'm not very religious or spiritual. For me, I'm very much like I love the holidays and the traditions, but I don't really know what I believe. I don't know if I believe in God. I don't know if I ever have. So I can only imagine that to feel like you can't break the covenant and you, but you also like you're in it because of that like promise you made. But then it's like, well, why would God do this to me? It's like, there's a third party in the marriage and you're confused because you're trying to trust God, but why would God want this for you? I just, I, like, I can hardly, I can hardly begin to wrap my head around how difficult that must make it. Yeah. I'm, and I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a huge faith problem because a lot of us in the Mormon church, we prayed before we married our husbands. And a lot of women in the Mormon church, they felt like they got an answer that they should marry this person Thankfully, Mm -hmm. I actually didn't really have a spiritual experience around, is he the one, which the one, I don't even think I believe that anymore. But I know a lot of women who prayed felt very strongly that they should marry this person. This person ended up being abusive, you know, infidelity, all the bad things. And so then there's, like you said, a third element of, I trusted you. I trusted God to take care of me and to protect me. And and there's also just for me personally, there was this feeling of if I check the boxes, if I'm, if I stay true, if I don't have sex before I'm married, if I never drink alcohol, if I, you know, all these things that, that means God will protect me and God will protect my marriage. And it will be a, um, a, a, you know, a positive, I can, I can have children and feel safe with this person. Um, and never once did I ever worry about infidelity because I just thought this is a righteous person. This is a good man who's doing all the same things I'm doing. He checked, you know, he lived a pure life. I lived a pure life. And now we're going to have this amazing marriage. And so, yeah, there, there was almost a like I trusted God and I feel like he let me down. So that's that's where it dings your faith. That's where it hurts your faith. Yeah. So let's get into the part where you were let down because <laughs> yeah. um, that's the really, yeah. I, I mean, I have so many questions, but at what what happened? When did you find this out? How did you find out? Yeah, yeah. So um so this was about four years ago. I got a message on Facebook from a guy saying, your husband is sleeping with my girlfriend. <gasps> and I was Whoa. like, no, I, I thought for sure it was like a Russian scam, you know, like a, like trying to get money from me somehow, like a blackmail. And I said, no, 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 like no way. And he kind of knew some things about me. He knew how many kids I had. He knew like their gender. He knew what city I lived in. Like, and I was like, ah, you could maybe find these things on Facebook. Like it was just kind of like, so I confronted my husband like immediately. I said, Hey, there's this guy, like, this is so weird. Right. And then like the look on my husband's face and it was just 
he like didn't even deny it was just weird it was like my my spidey sense went up i was like this is weird our kids were still awake so after we put them to bed i confronted him again oh no actually i went back to the facebook guy and i said hey tell me like i don't think i believe you so give me something more so he um he said yeah you were gone last night and he was texting her because you were gone and i and i was and i don't know i just started to feel like okay this is real you know so i confronted my husband again about it once the kids were in bed and he just starts crying um, oh my god conf- i mean he basically confessed well he confessed to some things it didn't everything didn't come out until later but um he basically tells me that he's been addicted to pornography since he was really little, like eight. Um, and that it basically escalated over the years into chats and meeting up with people in person. So, I mean, I I probably won't get too much into the, the sex addiction stuff, but essentially, um, he, and, and you know, some people don't believe in sex addiction and that's fine. I've basically the last four years I've been thrown, I threw myself into the sex addiction world and I, I do believe it's a real thing. Um, and you know, the thing is he wanted to get help. He didn't want to essentially for the last seven years of our marriage, he'd been having sex with strangers, um, during the day while I thought he was at work. Um, yeah, this was his thing. This was his like double life. He was essentially li- living a double life because, you know, he'd come to church with us on Sunday and, you know, and I think it just extra hurt because, because of the religious aspect, because, because Mormons like sexual purity is such a big thing for us. Right. And so it's like, it was so shocking to me. So shocking. Like I didn't even know he looked at pornography. Like I never caught him. I never caught him doing anything. So this was like the biggest shock ever. And I think sometimes like, like my, my ex, he wasn't very like, um, charismatic or charming or so it wasn't, it didn't feel like, you know, some has, some guys are like, oh yeah, I could see him being like sleazy. It was like Mm -hmm. my, my ex was not like that at all. So it was super, super shocking. Um, and so basically for the last three years, he got into really, like therapy. I got into therapy, support groups, 12 step programs, all, all the things we threw everything at it. As you were deciding to do that, was it like a, do we try and work this out? Or was it like a, well, we have to work this out because we have to stay together. So what can we do? Like what led to deciding to get into these programs and and try and work through it? I think, yeah, I don't think it was religion. Like, I don't think the the religion, I, I didn't feel a, like I knew I could walk away from the marriage and nobody okay. would bat an eye. Like if people yeah. knew the story, nobody would be like, oh, you should, you should stick it out. Like it was bad enough where like, like I had to get tested for STDs. Like, like, you know, like I yeah. went through so much that I was like, nobody would, would have questioned if I left. So yeah. for me, I felt like, I felt like it was a mental health issue almost more than like if he'd been having an affair with somebody for a couple of years because of, because of his addiction and because of the way it manifested, I felt like he was sick and needed help. 
So I, thankfully I didn't take his sex addiction very personally as far as like, I didn't feel like, oh, you didn't want me or like, oh, I wasn't good enough. Like it was just so, um, just clearly in my mind, it was so clearly a mental health issue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's really, I mean, amazing that you were able to look at it that way. And I agree with you on like that kind of that outlook. But I think that's something that's so hard to do for so many people. So it's like, it's really impressive that you're able to do that. And you were able to say like, there's nothing wrong with me because this happened. Like this isn't because I'm not enough for him. This is something that he's going through and dealing with. Yeah. And I just, you know, I I don't know if I should thank my parents or or who to thank, but I've just always been a very confident person. Mm -hmm. And so thankfully I did not, it didn't hit my self-esteem. And I've seen many women because I've been in support groups with women whose husbands are sex addicts and it, it really messes you up. It really messes with your self-esteem and messes with your, I mean, even my own sexuality because I've only been with sexually with my husband and he had this whole kind of sexual side I never knew about, like that impacted my sexual being and my, you know, and a lot of it is like looking back because I didn't know about it at the, you know, there were so many years of my marriage. I didn't know any of that was going on. And so then you look back on it and with the new lens and your whole marriage ends up sort of being tainted because even though you didn't know at the time, you can look back and you're like, Oh, what was, who was he texting when I was sleeping or who was he sending pics to when I was sleeping, like, or when he was at work. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it messes with your head for sure. But I feel like because I've been in therapy, intense therapy, support groups, like just a lot of work. Um, I feel like I've come out on the other side. Okay. But I know a lot of women don't. So. Yeah. yeah. Where did you find these support groups and what was it like, like going to the first one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a great group called SAL. What does it stand for? Um, SA Lifeline actually is, uh, is what they, what it stands for. And it's um, sex. So there's like sexaholics anonymous and there's actually a lot of support groups for sex addicts. Um, There's like a lot of different names, but, um, but it was on zoom and it was women from all over the country. And I remember my first one. So I found out in October, 2018 um, about my husband's double life. And then I think December is when I went to my first Um, And it was just, it just felt so good. Like these women, like these are some of the most intense, like we are crying. We are, you know, it's like nobody understands what it feels like. And and the hard thing is I didn't tell anybody in my, in my real life, what was going on. Like my, and, and even like my parents didn't know until I told them we were getting divorced because I just felt, and I think this is a, like, this is maybe my own issue, but maybe like a cultural church issue is we're just very big on like presenting ourselves as a perfect family. Like we have to be perfect and it's just a lot of pressure. So I kept so much of it inside and a lot of my good friends still to this day do not know why we got divorced because partly because I didn't want to throw him under the bus. I didn't I still care about him and I wanted to protect his reputation and I didn't want, and you know, he's the father of my children and I don't want my kids to hear about the things he's done. And 
So, so anyway, these support groups are just amazing because you feel like for the first time you can be completely honest about what's going on in your life, how you feel about it. You can talk to other women who have been divorced because of their husband's choices. And, and of course there's a spectrum too of sex addiction because there's like, there's like a lot of women whose husbands are addicted to pornography and then you've got prostitution, you know, on the other end of the, of the spectrum. And my, I mean, my husband was, was pretty far like once, I mean, depending on where you rank things, I guess, but, um, and some people's husbands blew a ton of money on sex stuff. And that's a whole other financial infidelity is a thing too, you know? And anyway, but yeah, the support groups were amazing. I mean, I still, I have met, two of my very good friends through support groups that I've still never met in person. Like we've talked every day on Marco Polo for years and she's in Minnesota and we've never met and, and we both have been divorced now and she actually was a Mormon and has left the church. And so anyway, we, you know, there's just a lot in common that you just will not, no one else will understand what you've been through. Yeah, it's such an incredible feeling to to have someone like that, whether or not you've met in person, like it it doesn't even matter. It's like it's somebody who really gets it and someone who you can talk to and go to. And it makes carrying the burden of kind of keeping it a secret like so much easier because there are people you can be totally open with. Yeah, like you can't keep it in forever. Like you literally yeah. feel like you're going to explode like you've got all this inner turmoil and then you're just putting on this happy face all the time. And a big, like the, my therapist now I'll go into therapy. She's like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm fine. And she's like, yeah, you're always fine. Like I'm, I just got (laughs) so good at just like being fine all the time. Right. Like you just, you just have to, but it's like, man, for three years, my marriage is like, I knew like about for the three years I knew about his addiction. Um, I was falling apart inside, you know, and, and no, nobody knew and it's hard. And then it feels like I'm living a double life. That's right. I I think that's what I hated because before I knew about his addiction, I was a very, like, I was a friend that was very open book. I love talking about just everything. I I'm, I'm, you know, but because it was his issue, I didn't feel like I could be an open book because it's not you know, they're going to judge him. And that's, that's only up for him to decide, right? Like, I I don't know. I mean, he was okay with me sharing. I ended up sharing with my sister and, you know, my best friend. Um, Eventually I did, but, and he was, he was okay with that. But I did want to respect the fact that like, this is, this is not just about me, right? Yeah. So, I feel like I could ask a million more questions about that, but I want to get to kind of where you're at now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And my first question regarding that is like, where do you stand with your faith now after all of this? And, and I guess, yeah, I mean, maybe backing up a step, like what finally made you guys decide to actually get divorced and, and how did, how'd you handle that? And how did you handle that in terms of like the community aspect? Yeah. So what happened was we were in California and we, during the pandemic, we decided to move to Utah. And I, and I think that moving to Utah, um, we have, we both have a lot of family. All of my siblings are now in Utah. His parents are in Utah. Um, his, you know, anyway, so, um, I think that 
moving here was almost like a last ditch effort to like, okay, well, let's change up our environment and maybe things will get better. Um, um, but basically what happened is I, I went out of town on a girl's trip and I came back and I just felt so disconnected emotionally. And I felt the way I felt about his recovery is his recovery was very selfish. It was very, it was all about him getting better and his, him getting the right medication and doing the right meditation and breathing exercises. And, you know, he was kind of obsessed with getting better, um, but he wasn't invested in, from my perspective, he wasn't invested in improving our relationship. Like he just put a lot of his focus onto his own healing. And I just kind of felt like I was waiting, like, Hey, when's it my turn? Like, when's, when are we going to focus on the fact that like, your double life like really messed me up and messed us up. He like went from one addiction to a new addiction of getting better, but then didn't take the time to say, oh, but our marriage, my wife. Exactly. Totally. And he's gotten like, he definitely has like an obsessive personality, which is why, you know, I think addicts kind of do just have obsessive. Um, And so it definitely went from addiction to recovery. And in a way it was great. It was like, he was like reading these great books and waking up early and meditating. And, and he would do these like weird, like breathing, like, and he actually, he got rid of his smartphone and he was using a a flip phone for like over a year. And so everyone like in a social setting, everyone would be like on their phones and he would just be like sitting there, like breathing, like, like doing his own weird, like breathing meditation or whatever. And so I honestly, I admire a lot of like the work he did to get better. And I think he did improve a lot, but the problem was I didn't feel connected. Like, like, and so it wasn't enough for me personally, for him just to get sober. It had to be like in therapy speak, they call it rupture and repair. It was like, there was a huge rupture, but there's not a lot of effort to repair. Um, And I gave him three years and I felt like that was a very generous. I felt like that was a long time to get your shit together. And then when he never did, like never enough did, um, it just, it was kind of like a light switch. One day I was like, I I can't do this anymore. I, I, you know, I tried. Um, And then this is like another thing, but the next day I found out he had been essentially he took all of our savings and he invested it in some really risky stuff and he lost like six figures. So that was just another indication to me that he wasn't really healthy. He was still obsessed. He got obsessed with like trading stocks and, and so I was like, okay, a healthy person wouldn't have done that behind their wife's back after already betraying her trust a huge time. So to me, it was just like, um, the straw that broke the camel's back. I was like, okay, this is, you know, I'm done. I'm done with this marriage, you know? So that was about a year ago, um, that I just, the light switch went off and I was like, it's over. And the, you know, the nice thing is that our divorce has been very amicable. Like he's very remorseful. He knows it's a hundred percent his fault. You know, he's not like, he's hasn't said one single mean thing to me. You know, we're very friendly you know, the kids, you know, we see each other all the time for the kids. And, and, you know, he actually took a leave of absence from work because his depression, after I told him I wanted a divorce, it's like, he, he just hit a really low point. And I definitely still feel invested in his mental health just because it's like, I gave him three good years of like, let's get better. So I still, you know, especially for the sake of my kids, like I want you to get better. I want, 
I, I want nothing but good things for him, but I just, I personally had to separate myself from the chaos of his choices. So sorry to answer your question about like faith and where I'm at. It just like, unfortunately it's very common for women who've been betrayed in such a big way to also lose their faith because it's, it's like a trust issue. Like you said about God, it's like, Hey God, like I trusted you to take care of me. And it was almost like, Hey, I, I gave you all of my twenties. I gave you my teenage years. Like I, I did all the good things that you wanted me to do. And now I'm single and, and, (laughs) you know, a broken home and in air quotes, like, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't use that term, but, um, and so, and part of me just feels like, like, do I want to do that again? Do I want to marry another Mormon guy and like live the same life? I think there's part of me that just feels like I can't do the same thing again. And I think for better or worse, I've kind of like put the Mormon, like it's because the Mormon stuff is why it didn't work, which I don't think is fair because I do think the Mormon stuff gave me a lot of great things in my life and great, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I just don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater kind of a situation where it's like, I'm now trying to figure out what are my values? What, what matters to me? Because in a church like this, when you're a teenager, somebody hands you your values and says, here are your values. And it's not until right now at age 35 that I'm like, wait, are those my values? Is, is that actually important to me? Or was I just told this should be important to you? And, you know, for most of my life, I was like, yeah, okay, these are great values. And, And in a way, it's nice to have someone just hand something to you. And they say, follow this. And you're like, great. I don't have to think about it. I'm just going to follow that. But now because of all I've been through and because of the betrayal and it's just the critical thinking is a little bit higher because it's like, I felt sort of tricked and I'm like, I don't want to be tricked again. And so I need to think extra critically so I don't get like duped again and And so for me, that is questioning a lot of the beliefs I've had my whole life. And it's scary. And, and, and the way this ties into dating now is because, so I've been dating since like, I've been dating for about six months on the apps. I'm on the apps. Of course, back in the day, there were no apps. Um, And it's been fun, but religion comes up almost immediately And I think it's because I live in Utah where there's a, just a big black and white of like, are you Mormon? Are you not Mormon? And so initially when I filled out my Bumble profile, I said, I went to BYU. I said, I'm Mormon. And I said, I don't drink because I don't, I've never drank Mm -hmm. still to this day. Um, and so I'm basically putting my religion obviously in my profile. So then I get I, I was okay with dating guys who were not Mormon because I kind of went into dating with like, I just want to, I want to date everybody. That's kind of my attitude going into it is like, I want to see what's out there because I dated so little the first time around, right? I got totally. married. Yeah. Like first guy, I basically married the first guy I dated at BYU. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm not doing that again. I'm dating everybody. So I, I'm going out with all kinds of guys. But the interesting thing is because they knew I was Mormon, they were like, wait, like, 
do you know that I'm not Mormon? And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Um, and so it's just been really interesting because religion would come up first, but I just kept thinking like, can we talk about all the great things that make me, me that aren't tied to my religion? Like my personality traits, my, you know, what makes me, me. And I just, and it's almost like a weird identity shift because being Mormon was so much a part of my identity, but I'm just feeling like more and more like that's not, I don't want that to be my identity. There are so many things about me that are great that are not related to my religion. And I don't want, (laughs) I don't know, but it comes up all the time. And I have a girlfriend in Minnesota who's dating and she's like, people don't even know what a Mormon is in Minnesota. (laughs) Like, like if I said like I was raised Mormon, they'd be like, what, what's that again? You know, but here, and it's interesting in guys, Bumble profiles, they will say like, not Mormon. They will put that in their bio or not LDS. Wow. And actually I was, I was swiping last night and there was a guy, I wrote it down. He said, Mormon cult, stay in your lane. I was like, Whoa, Whoa. that's aggressive. <laughs> well, you know what? Then you know that that's just not even someone to bother with. Totally. Totally. Exactly. If they are like, if they're anti-church in their bio, I am like, even though I am like, maybe not going to end up in the church, like I'm still in a very, like, I'm in the messy middle, as I like to call it, where I am critically thinking about the church, trying to kind of make a pro and con list, trying to figure out like, can I live part of what the church says? Like, is it possible to live in the gray? Because the church is a very black and white church. And mm-hmm. a lot of what I'm doing in therapy is like getting rid of the black and white thinking, being okay in the gray, but it's hard. It's hard when you are, I have 35 years of Mormon right. conditioning that I am just thinking about, you know? And and so, so anyway, eventually on my Bumble profile or Hinge or whatever, I have taken off BYU <laughs> And I have taken off Mormon and I've changed it to Christian. Um, and which I hope, I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are because I, I mean, Mormons are Christians. We, we believe in Jesus Christ. So it's, to me, it doesn't feel dishonest. Um, but it's just like, I feel like I'm being, I'm being um, excluded because right. of that when it doesn't accurately represent how I feel right now. Like when I was 20, yes, I was a diehard, like super um, devoted member of the church. And I would only want a Mormon guy to date. But now because of what I've been through and I've married a Mormon guy and it wasn't all it was cracked up to be, I'm more open-minded. So I've kind of changed my profile so that they'll give me a chance you know? Yeah. No, I actually think that's really smart. And I don't think you're being like deceiving or lying in any way. I think it's a situation where me in that case, you might not end up talking about religion before you meet or on the first date. And then if you decide you want to go on a second date with someone or a third date, and the conversations are progressing, and you're like, okay, I do want to share this part of myself with this person. At like, the hope is that you're going to find somebody who is understanding, who is open. And if you get to that conversation and they're not 
then okay, you have your answer, but at least you had the chance. And at least they had the chance to get to know you. And I don't think it's unfair to them. I don't think it's wrong in any way. Um, I actually think it's like, I think it's like brave and, and really smart of you to approach it that way so that you're giving yourself a fighting chance. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you said that because I'm like, I'm like, I don't, I'm not trying to be dishonest, but I don't also want to be labeled. Like, I feel like this right. label, it doesn't feel accurate anymore. Do you know what I mean? No, um, absolutely. And I feel like I've talked to so many specifically guests on unfiltered who all have this this thing about them, whether it's a mental health, a physical health issue, a chronic illness, some like major thing in their family that happened, some really intense trauma. And the common theme is that like everybody has had this thing or has this thing, but doesn't want to be defined by it, doesn't want to be judged by it right off the bat, because yes, that may have happened, but that is literally the least interesting thing about them. It's not who they are. It's something that happened to them, but it's not their personality. It's not how they show up in a relationship or how they are on dates. It's something that yes, is a very defining thing about their past, about their story, about how they became who they are today. But it's not something that people need to know in the first few dates. And I think that's like totally okay. And I think that's something that we all need to be a lot like kinder to each other. And we all need to be a lot more like gentle in terms of how we judge people and how we view people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's really good. You're right. All the past guests you had, like we all don't want to be labeled. It's like, yeah. give me a chance to, cause like, I think I'm a great, like, I think I'm great. And I, I think you're great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks Alana. And so it's like, I just want, and, and, you know, because of the relational, like I've done so much, you know, attachment style and, you know, all the relationship stuff, I'm so, I'm so invested in having a really, and doing it right the second time, yeah. right? And like really having the hard conversations and, um, and so I'm so like excited about a future relationship and doing it right, but it's like, I don't want to be excluded from the 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 pool just because of this one thing um it's actually funny one of the first guys I went out with he asked me in um once we matched he said on a scale of one to ten how Mormon are you <laughs> oh my god what'd you say <laughs> well I was like "Ooh, good question because you know and, and I was wondering I'm like I wonder what he's actually getting at like because is it like he's thinking like, how likely is she to have sex with me? Like, um, <laughs> because you know, like if, if you know, if you're in Utah, like you probably know the Mormon rules, right? Like, you know, premarital sex is not, right. you know, if you're a devout Mormon. So he's probably like, and this is me being cynical, like, okay, he's just trying to figure out if we're going to sleep together or not. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I actually didn't give him a number though, because I was like, I was like, honestly, I'm at this weird crossroads. Depends um, on the day. <laughs> depends on the day. Yeah. And, and I just, I just was honest. And, and, and that's the thing I have been consistent with is like, I will be honest with you if you ask me, but because I'm in this weird middle ground, I think, I, and I almost told, I almost asked my therapist, I'm like, should I maybe not date until I figure this out? Like, I feel like it's a binary. It's like either you're Mormon or you're not. And I'm in this weird and people don't know what to do with me because the more I feel like I'm not Mormon enough for the Mormon guys. 
and I'm too Mormon for the not Mormon guys. Like I'm in this weird, like, I don't fit. I don't like, I, I, I don't drink. I still don't drink. I'm, I'm becoming more okay with the idea that maybe in the future I might want to drink. Um, but as of right now, I haven't. And like, would I never have sex with the guy I'm dating? I, I probably wouldn't say that. Like I, I'm also open to that. Like, um, but right now it's all theoretical, right? It's not like I haven't done these things. Like, and, and what's weird is so much of my life, I was thinking about it this morning. So much of my life, my identity has been, I've never done this. I've never done that. Like, like a a point of pride, you know, like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm such a, but now that I'm 35 and single, it feels like, who cares? (laughs) Like, right. Like, if anything, I feel like the weirdo who's like, never drank like it used to be a point of pride and now it's like a point of like okay what's wrong with you (laughs) I think you're in a really like unique situation I mean obviously but in almost an exciting way where on all of these dates with all of these conversations with everything you've like even kind of identified and, and seen on the apps like there's so much for you to learn and experience and decide like one date at a time one day at a time like what you are or aren't curious about and what you might or might not want to try or who you might or might not want to date. And I think you're going to like learn so much through dating, not just about like what type of person you're into, but about other people's experiences and how other people were raised and what things other people believe in and for what reasons. And I'm curious, did your therapist say you should or shouldn't date right now? No, she, she actually just said, like, I think as long as you're honest about where you're at, that's fine because you're, you're, you're giving people the opportunity. If they, if they're not okay with that, then they can make their own decision, but you don't have to pull yourself out. It just, I think because I, because my brain is so black and white, it's, it's been like this weird mental struggle. Cause even when I'm swiping on the apps, I'll see guys that are drinking and they have like beers in their picture. Right. And I'm like, I, I feel like, Oh, well they wouldn't want to be with me because I don't drink. So I'm, I'm like, it's okay. This is another topic. Dating is just bringing up all sorts of insecurities that I didn't know I had because I, like I said, I've always been a confident person, but in dating, it's like a whole different ball game. So, so I'll see them drinking and I'll be like, Oh, they wouldn't want to, I eliminate myself. I'm like, Oh, they wouldn't want to date me because if I go to a bar, I'm not going to get anything. And then we can't have this, like, you know, it's almost um, like taking yourself back to like the senior year of high school where it's like, well, my friend stopped inviting me because I wasn't going to drink. So yeah. like these people are not going to want to go out with me, but do you have that you don't drink in your profile? I do. Yeah. Then, yeah. then that's up to like, let them right. decide, you yeah. know, yeah. let them decide. I think. And that's interesting. Um, I hadn't thought of that, that it's like taking me back to high school and this feeling of like, like, oh, they're going to reject me, you know? And, and so much of dating is like, you know, rejection is all the time. Even, you know, you really kind of have to have tough skin yeah. in this game. Cause even when you match and then they like ghost you and you're like, what, yep. what happened? It's like, wait a second. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm awesome. What are you doing? Um, but yeah. So what w- the other thing, I just went out with a guy who he's like in his uh, late thirties, never been married, doesn't have kids. And just even those two things, aside from like the drinking and the whatever, it's like, dude, I've been like, 
I've been having kids, like my oldest is 12. Like I've, I've been a mom for so long that this has been my identity. And you have been like, he had all these hobbies. Like he like traveled the world as like a musician and he built a house off grid somewhere. And I just felt so like, um, like, man, our lives have been so different. Like we're roughly the same age, but because I had kids, and I lived this Mormon lifestyle, like you've got stories and I've got nothing. Like, I just felt like boring, you know, like I don't have any like crazy traveling stories or, you know, and so that's been hard too, is just feeling like I've been this Mormon housewife for so many years and I feel boring, you know? Yeah, I, I totally understand that. And I'm like putting, trying to put myself in your shoes and I would completely feel the same way. I think you have to realize like you have had experiences and you've had like so many, there are so many things that make you who you are. And I'm sure you have like amazing stories about raising your kids and things that you like messed up on and things that you learned and like why they're so great. And all of these things that like maybe this person who traveled the world and built a house off grid and done all these things, like maybe that like all they want is to, you know, be a parent and raise kids and learn about that. And, you know, like you have to give yourself the benefit of the doubt. And I think be like kinder to yourself in that, like you are so great. You have so many things to offer and just like everyone else, you have a story and it's part of what makes you, you, but there's just, there's so much. And like, we're so quick to judge other people and we're even quicker to judge ourselves. But I think you have to say like, okay, I'm giving this person a clean slate. I owe it to myself to give myself a clean slate too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's one question I've been really curious about this whole time. Um, if you feel comfortable answering and that's how are you raising your kids in terms of religion? Okay, that that that's 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 what actually makes a lot of this very difficult is it's not just me. Like, you know, yeah. if I was 19 and decided to leave the church, like it's just me that's affected by that, but having three kids, like it's not just me. Um and so, you know, I have my kids every other weekend and I I think he takes the kids to church. Um Yeah. So, so I didn't tell this part, but my husband actually, my ex actually got, um, excommunicated. So he got essentially kicked out of the church Wow. and they have like a, um, like a council where you go before like 14 men and kind of tell your story. And then they decide to, you know, it's like a, they call it a disciplinary council. So, and, and that's, that, that actually, that actually hurt a lot too, as, as far as like affecting my faith, like having the, the council and it's weird because you get kicked out, but nobody knows you get kicked out. So it's another one of those, like, um, we're all fine. Everything's yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But there's certain consequences of getting kicked out. Like you don't, you, you can't quite participate in the same way, but not in a way that people would really pick up on it's it's bizarre it is sort of bizarre so um so my so he's still not technically a member of the church he actually would have to get rebaptized um to join the church again like full underwater baptism and as far as i know he hasn't done that um 
anyway, so it's tricky because I know his position with the faith is also complicated. Um, and mine is complicated for sort of different reasons, but, um, and so I feel like we're both taking the kids to church, but we both maybe are not, our hearts aren't in it personally. Um, and my oldest does not want to go to church. Um, she doesn't, I can tell she kind of doesn't believe, which is hard. Um, but also I understand, you know, I get it. Like, yeah, I've got a lot of questions too. There's a lot of things that don't sit right with me too. And so, um, yeah, raising the kids in the church, I, I feel like I'm kind of half-assing it where it's like, um, you know, if you were a real devout Mormon, you'd be having scripture study with your kids and prayer every night with your kids. And, um, like they call it like family home evening where, um, you, you get together and you have like a spiritual lesson on Monday nights and I don't do any of those things. So I'm very much a Sunday, um, Mormon where we go to church and, um, and even yesterday we, uh, we didn't have, we ran out of mayonnaise and I was making a potato salad for like a family thing. And we, so we went to the store and bought it. And like, I grew up, we would never do that growing up. You do not shop on Sundays, you know? And it's interesting because when I, the weekends I don't have my kids, I will go out on Sundays. I will go to a restaurant. I will go return stuff. But then when my kids are here, I feel like I've got a kind of set a good example, but it's complicated. It's really complicated. And it feels a little bit hypocritical or like I'm living a double life where it's like, I don't really believe it, but I want my kids to be involved. And, and even like, I, so I actually love coffee, like iced coffee, but, um, it's not okay. Right. So I just got a, an iced coffee and I have it in, in my car, like like in the trash section or whatever. And I'm like, oh no, my kids might see that. And then it's like this whole, like, why am I hiding this? Like, right. Oh my it's, God. It's very complicated. It's, it's, it's a lot of mental gymnastics and it's, it's not fun, honestly. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a hard question. That's a very, that's, I'm in the middle of it right now. And I'm, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing, but I'm trying. I No, I, I think the right thing is trying and, and, yeah figuring it out as best as you can. And and that is what you're doing. And I think that is completely the right thing. Like, especially with everything you've experienced, like there's no right or wrong way to do it other than the best you can. And and in the most like honest way possible for yourself, you know? Um, so I really admire that. I, I cannot begin to imagine how difficult that's been. Um, but yeah, you're in such an interesting place in your life right now between everything that you're trying to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's a lot. And like, I, like I just got a new job and, you know, being, you know, and we moved in the divorce, like there's just so many changes, right. When you get divorced, so many changes financially and, um, and then just trying to keep your kids, you know, worry about their mental health and are they okay? And, um, yeah, it's just a lot, but honestly, I'm, I'm happy. I am really happy. And I, and like you said, I, I'm loving dating. I honestly love dating because I'm very extroverted and I love learning people's stories. And like you said, like different backgrounds, different kinds of people, like this one guy I taught, like went out with, like he was a drug, like used to be a drug addict and he was in AA. And I was just so fascinated by his story because I was in such a bubble for so long. Like all my friends were Mormon and like just everyone I was around was Mormon. So it's just this bubble. And now I'm like, 
a little bit out of it by dating different guys. And it's just been like a social experiment in a lot of ways as like, I'm just collecting data. I'm just like fascinated, yeah. you know, I just think it's so interesting. And I, so I, I've kind of been keeping track of the guys I've been out with. And so I've been out with 10 guys, three have been Mormon, two were former Mormons who have left the church and Ooh. then five that are not members. So that's like my, my stats so far to get a sense. Cause I really do want to, I don't want to write off Mormon guys. I don't want to write off all Mormon guys, just the way I don't want somebody to write me off for being a Mormon yeah. girl. Right. So Absolutely. I'm really, I'm really trying to give everyone the benefit of the doubt and judge people on a person by person basis and not a label that is on their, on their Bumble profile. So so hopefully, you know, I find a guy who's understanding of where I'm at and I'm trying to be open-minded because I hope that they're trying to be open-minded and then we'll, we'll find each other. I don't know. You're, you're doing all the right things. You really are. And I think it's just such an interesting, like you said, like social experiment and there's so much for you to learn from each thing. And I think like, that's all you can do is like approach each date as like a, I hope I learned something and I hope I have a good time. And then totally. great, that's a win. Totally. Yeah. That's what I'm doing. I'm just like, I'm not like, I'm not first date. Like, is this my husband? I'm like, are we <laughs> You're gonna like, have there, done that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just want to have a good time and learn yeah. something new about you. And, and it's shocking to me how much I'm learning about myself. Like, that's the other thing. Like I'm having these breakthroughs in therapy because of my dating. Because Isn't it's it crazy? Been, it's so crazy. I am like, like, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, it's hard and it's like, you know, it's exhausting being on the apps and having the first conversation over and over and over. But also like, I'm, I'm also like, I love a good story. So I've gotten so many good dating stories that I tell my married friends. No, they, they literally it's like they subscribe to a new streaming service. It's hilarious. Yeah. I'm like their podcast. I'm like their yeah. dating podcast because they, they don't even know the apps, right? Like a lot of my friends have right. been married for Never. so long that they don't know anything about the apps and they, yeah. you know, I sometimes screenshot some funny things and send it to them and they, they love it. So I'm sure at least, at least my dating life is entertaining. Some of my friends at the very least, we're at least, you know, we're getting that out of it. So 100%. It's been fun. It's been fun, but yeah, it's, I'm still, like I said, I'm still in the messy middle. Like my story doesn't have like a nice ending like a like let's wrap this up you know that's not my story it could be but right now it's like I don't I don't know what I'm doing and it's 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 you know I I just really like to hear other people's stories that don't have a bow because that that has been my story for so long it's like it doesn't it doesn't have a happy ending yet because I'm still in the middle of it so and and I think in a way you always will be and I think that's okay I think we sometimes like really want to get to the defining end point of something, but it's like, I think we're always growing and changing and learning and and developing. And I don't think there is necessarily that end point ever, you know? Right. Right. But I think in, in the Mormon culture, there is this huge emphasis. It's black and white. It has well, it's to like, be. Yeah. And just getting married in the temple, like that's your ultimate goal. You've been told that your whole life, like getting married in the temple for time and all eternity is the way we turn like, like you are, there's a heavy emphasis on you are marrying this person for, for ever. Like yeah. you will be married to this person in heaven. So it's a very 
like serious, like that's your goal. And so it's yeah. like, once I hit it, I was like, yeah. And I hit it when I was 20. So I'm like, yeah, look at me hitting my big goals at age 20, you know, but, but now I'm, I, I much more agree with what you said, where it's like, I'm not, I'm not shooting for an end goal. I'm just shooting for like living my best life right now and growing and like getting out of my comfort zone and just being a better version of me than last week. Yeah. And that's, that's what I'm shooting for. So if you could give one piece of advice to your 19 year old self, what would that be? Okay. So what I would tell my 19 year old self is to learn to trust your intuition because I think one of the problems in the church is you end up giving your power to uh, leaders in the church and other people's opinions on what you should do. You get a lot of um, advice coming from church leadership and it ends up being where you don't have an intuition because you just give all your questions are like answered by somebody else. And so I realized when I had been betrayed by my husband that I, I didn't have an intuition and I've been building it up. It, it like, you know, it got, it got shot because when you think you're marrying a certain person and then you find out they're not who you thought it kills your intuition. You're like, why didn't I know? Why didn't I, why didn't I see it? You know? And I just, I'm learning that my opinions, my thoughts, my, my truth is valid without getting any approval from any outside source. And so it's still really hard for me because I've been taught my whole life to look to God for answers, to look to church leaders for answers. And now I'm like, you know what? I think I can find the answers inside of me also. So I think that's what I would say. Develop your intuition. Yeah. I think that's, that's a beautiful insight and and answer. And I think it's amazing that you have that self-awareness now and you're learning to trust yourself and you're learning to, to, you know, own the thoughts and, and feelings that you have. And I think after everything you've been through, that's like the best thing you can do for yourself. And yeah, I just, I really, really admire your strength and, and even just hearing how you approached the whole situation and how you still care about your ex-husband and, and his mental health and, and everything that after everything like you went through and it just, it's really impressive to me. And I just, yeah, I really admire you. So thank you. I mean, thank you. Thank you so much for being open to come on here and, and to share your story, especially one that you haven't shared with that many like people in your life yeah. that you're close to. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm really honored that you came on here. Yeah. I just, you know, I feel like the more I sh- like talk about it, the more it helps me too. Right. Because uh, for a long time, I felt like this isn't happening to me. Like, no way. This is not my story, especially because so much of his behavior, I never saw, I never caught right. it. So it's all like abstract, you know, I it's never- like, wait a second. Did this really happen? Totally. Like I didn't see any of this happen. Exactly. So how could it happen? Yeah, exactly. So I find myself when I tell my story, I'm like, this is a lifetime movie. This is not my story. (laughs) Yeah. And so I do feel very disconnected from my story in a lot of ways. Um, and so I think by telling it, it helps my brain be like, no, this did happen and you did come out strong and you are a badass and you're going to be fine. (laughs) 
Hell yeah, you are. I love it. Uh, Well, thank you again so much. And to everyone who listened, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget, if you know somebody who would benefit or learn something from hearing this episode, please, please, please send it their way. Don't forget to check out the Instagram for all the content from this episode and give a five-star rating and review if you love what you heard. All right, thank you so much, so, so, so much again. And to everyone, I will talk to you guys next time.